This week's TribCast is sponsored by Introducing Nativo Austin, downtown's first purposely built and licensed Airbnb-friendly building. Fully furnished condos from the 500,000s. Delivery fall 2021. Find out more at nativivo.org. And Texas Association of Freestanding Emergency Centers strives for Texans to have timely access to high-quality emergency care and champions fair regulation in the industry. More at tafec.org. Hello, and welcome to the July 8th edition of the Texas Tribune TribCast. This is Alexa Uda. I'm joined this week by state politics reporter Cassie Pollock. Hello. Hi. Public education reporter Aaliyah Swaby. Hello. And managing editor Matthew Watkins. Hello. We kicked Ross off after he uttered the words finger condom <laughs> during <laughs> last week. <laughs> Alexa had to come back to that. Ended. Yeah. I, 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 I was just so taken aback by it because I... Tough but fair indeed. All right. So other things that happened last week was Governor Greg Abbott, uh, despite previously resisting calls for a statewide mask order, in fact ordered Texans in most counties to wear masks in public places. It was quite the turnaround from the governor, who I think the week before that had indicated some regret over reopening bars, given how quickly the virus had spread there, but had largely still resisted kind of bigger action that some folks have been calling for. Matthew, what sense have we gotten so far about the governor's reasoning for this sort of turnaround, which wasn't announced in a press conference like his previous orders, right? Yeah, it was, a, it was a press release that was, I mean, as far as press releases go, not surprised very often, but this one was a pretty big shock. You know, I had to reread the first paragraph like three or four times before I felt comfortable pressing publish on Patrick Vitek's <laughs> story. It's like, is this really what's happening? Um, but yeah, you know, basically the reasoning. Oh. <laughs> Right when he. That's so dramatic. I know he's just said drama. The reasoning and then dropped up. All right, pick it back up. Are we going to cut this part off? No, we're going to keep it because you (laughs) accidentally disconnected yourself. Yeah, that was. I would like to say that that was my Wi-Fi, but I accidentally just pressed the (laughs) hang button. So pumped. Yeah, we're going to keep it. Go ahead. Okay. So basically, I mean, the reasoning is pretty simple on this. The reasoning is that cases are growing at an alarming rate. And this is something that Abbott and pretty much everyone is acknowledging at this point. Um, You know, the... um, the doubling rate of cases is going up. The hospitals are starting to get full. You know, everything that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. And, you know, Abbott, uh, in this case, kind of stuck to his word where he said that if things start to um, get worse, then we'll take new measures. Uh, the fact that it was a mask rule um, as that kind of first measure, I think, was a very big surprise, just given that because he, you know, he specifically took this 
power away from the local officials and and you know has has felt a lot of pressure from his party you know saying you know uh that that people should not face you know i mean he said people shouldn't face jail time but just other kind of punishments for 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 not wearing a mask so you know the rule here is this the um if you are in a county where there are 20 or fewer active cases, then you as a county official can submit a form to the Texas Department of Emergency Management and opt out um, of the mask rule. But the fact is there are so many cases, there's so many counties where there are 20 or more cases that the vast, vast majority of Texans are now under this rule. Um, and, you know, he's gotten a lot of blowback for it. But, um, you know, I mean, it was a pretty surprising, pretty striking move. I'm curious what you think it would if it would have uh, generated the same shock if he would have instead said, okay, we're rolling back, like it's a stay-at-home order again instead of masks again. Do you think it would have gotten similar levels of blowback or would have been like similarly received poorly by some people in his base? Yeah, I mean, you know, politically, I think he's just in a pretty terrible position. I, I think that like nothing he can do is going to make people happy right now because the people who have been saying we should shut down or slow down reopening are are going to continue to say that and say, you know, he's doing this too late and this is, you know, his of his own making. And then the people on the other side who don't want to shut down again, you know, they're going to talk about how he's infringing on their freedoms and everything. And I think you can kind of see right now that really you know, since he's been governor, he's really kind of out there on a limb on his own right now. You don't see a lot of people kind of coming out and supporting him, whether it's in the ledge or even other statewide elected officials, you know, Republicans. There, There is the faction, the very loud and, you know, frankly, pretty small, at least among elected officials, faction of people who are criticizing him for kind of destroying people's freedoms or you know what what whatever they kind of think is going on here but then there's and then there's the democrats criticizing him but there's really no one out there standing beside him saying like i'm with the governor on here you know this is what we're doing and, and i don't really know how he changes that um unless things start getting better and and frankly there's no indication that things are going to start getting better anytime soon yeah, I mean, so like our numbers are moving in a very scary direction and it's steady and quick. And, you know, we've talked about bef we've talked about this before about Abbott's response in most ways being sort of reactionary. And but even if you look at sort of his stated metrics, particularly this like positivity rate that he's talked about, we've been past his sort of, quote, warning flag since around I think the middle of June, a little bit after kind of the halfway point of June. And, you know, since then, bars have been closed and obviously this mask order has come down. But in some ways, it's sort of still hard to tell if this is sort of the start of following the most recent numbers in a much more forceful way that could lead to sort of market, markedly different policy changes in combating this. And, and I think that's what will be interesting to watch. Like, where do you go from here? Do you scale this back up eventually to a de facto stay at home order, even if you do it measure by measure? And do you move quickly enough to do that, given where our numbers are going? Yeah, I mean, Alexa, one of your stories uh, a while back about the runoffs, I thought kind of 
you know, it was specifically about voting, but it kind of encapsulated this whole thing, which was you pointed out that um, we are now in these July runoffs, which had been moved back because of the virus, but they're taking place in a time where the spread of the virus is worse than when they were actually yeah. pushed back. And I mean, that's basically true all like that's not just true about voting that's true about everything it's true about schools it's true about businesses um stay at home orders and everything like that when when he was shutting things down you know back in the spring things were a lot better on the ground than they are now so i mean what do you do about that he clearly doesn't want and you know understandably so he doesn't want to have to shut down the economy again because a lot of people are going to suffer but you know there's not a lot of other tools out there at his disposal. Now that he's got the mask order, now that he's got the, the um, bars, I mean, I'm not really sure what else there is to do if you feel like more action needs to be taken other than starting to close things down again. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about some of the reaction among Republicans in particular, because we know that the pressure they have placed on Abbott through the pandemic uh, has come with action that has followed it in many times. Um, but I think what, you know, since this mask order, I think he's been censured by at least two local parties. Um, but probably the more interesting twist is that his mask order came just ahead of the Texas GOP convention that I guess as of this morning is still scheduled to happen in person in Houston. Cassie, give us kind of the like brief overview of how this has gone over and like, what do we read into it, if anything, about the mask order coming, you know, just ahead of this massive in-person event that mm -hmm. lots of folks are worried about? Yeah. Uh, so just to, to get people caught up, it's been uh, it's been a wild ride this past uh, week with everything <laughs> that's happened on the convention front. Um, I guess the most recent development happened this morning when Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner, who's kind of uh, expressed some reservations about canceling the, the convention himself uh, previously, uh, said during a city council meeting that was held virtually that uh, he has directed the city's legal department to start working with the convention, uh, basically the the nonprofit uh, that oversees and that runs the convention center that this in-person uh, Texas GOP event would be happening at, and uh, basically said, hey, I want y'all to review the contracts and let's start looking for legal ways that we can cancel this. And uh, I think I have his exact quote pulled up. Um, you know, where there are provisions that allow us to cancel this convention, we will be exercising those. And the plan is to exercise those provisions to cancel this agreement uh, as, as soon as today. Um, so we're pretty much just kind of uh, waiting to see what comes of that. He has a press conference scheduled for this afternoon. But um, up until Turner this week started taking some some more, uh, you know, defined stances on, on uh, him wanting to see the convention canceled, you really kind of saw this game of political hot potato uh, between uh, Abbott, uh, Republican Party officials, and Houston leaders like Sylvester Turner in terms of who was actually willing to go out uh, on a limb and, and, and say that the convention needed to be canceled. Um, Houston, as we've reported, is one of the hotspots, uh, one of the country's hotspots for the coronavirus. Um, and in the, of all, in the midst of all of that, the, the state Republican Executive Committee, the, the state party's governing board, voted pretty overwhelmingly last, late last week to, to proceed with an in-person convention. Um, 
I guess while all of this has been playing out in terms of whether or not the convention is actually going to happen, uh, the party has been making uh, moves to change its party rules to basically give uh, the, the SREC more leeway to to move the convention online if it needs to be uh, if it needs to be. Um, and then most recently, last night um, on a convention town hall update. Uh, uh, the party's executive director, Kyle Watley, announced that elected officials who were previously planning to give in-person speeches at this event were no longer going to be doing that and that they would instead be holding them uh, virtually, delivering videos to attendees. So you've just seen a lot of posturing, I guess, um, a lot of plans kind of coming to fruition uh, to, to prepare for what some people may consider like the inevitable that this convention ends up getting canceled. Um, but right now, yes, uh, as of, as of 12, 16 PM, the convention is still, <laughs> uh, set to happen next week. Oh, you're on mute, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> was I too confusing with that summary? It confuses me, which is why I have to ask. I mean, it confused Matthew enough that he was speechless. <laughs> I gotta, someone just take my computer away from me. Um, I would love to just like give some of these GOP officials, whether it's James Dickey or Greg Abbott or some of the other officials, some kind of truth serum and ask them whether they are secretly hoping that Sylvester Turner cancels <laughs> this, you know? Yeah, that's the thing. Turner last week, maybe the week before that said that he didn't want to cancel the convention because he didn't want to politicize the event. And, you know, maybe in his mind, we've, we've passed that point where the politics of it no longer really matter. And it's now a matter of public safety. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, because I think like there has got to be a consciousness that, you know, the SREC, um, you know, well known as being kind of made up of members of the more activist wing of the party, right. Um, mm -hmm. the wing of the party that right now is a, maybe less open to coronavirus restrictions, um, you know, they are not going to be happy with whoever cancels this if it indeed gets canceled. And so, you know, I don't think Greg Abbott wants to be the one who does that. I don't think, you know, I mean, it doesn't sound like maybe James Dickey has the power to do it anyways. But yeah, mm -hmm. it does feel like everyone is just kind of staring at each other being like, yeah. is anyone going to step up? And, and <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, the optics, I guess there's like multiple angles uh, or multiple layers here of like, you know, concerns of, of just take take all of like the safety concerns aside and just look at the optics of this. Um, you know, I was speaking with uh, a bunch of House Republicans uh, early last week before all of this stuff kind of started picking back up. And uh, overwhelmingly, the, the sentiment that was expressed to me was, why would we be present at this large gathering when we have small business owners in our district who can't even open their business, you know, whether it's uh, a bar or, you know, whatever, um, that puts them in a tough spot. And then second to that, with this latest announcement last night, that these in-person speeches are no longer happening, um, you know, I, I guess the, the thought there is why can't elected officials be there, but thousands and thousands of attendees and delegates. So... Cassie, I have a question for you. Uh, okay. As someone who has a finger on the pulse of the the GOP, um, if this convention happens and 
what kind of reception is Greg Abbott going to have get in the room when it's time for him to speak? Oh, um, well, Matthew, as you know, I cannot predict the future. <laughs> um, nor, nor will she be in the room to actually be able to tell what the booing. Alexa, Alexa, we, that may be too soon to say. Matthew may send me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it depends on your answer to this question, I think. Correct. Um, well, Matthew, Matthew um, I think <laughs> I want to make sure I'm answering your question. To your point about Abbott more or less being out on this political limb all by himself, I mean, I think that that's really coming through, um, you know, with, with House representatives, with state senators, and then with a lot of these activists uh, who are unhappy with um, generally how he's handled this so far. And I think that uh, you can be unhappy with his handling of, of the situation, and you can also be unhappy with um, what has at times been a pretty confusing uh, message that his office has been putting out on this. Um, you know, I get that things change and that this is a near impossible situation for almost anybody to navigate politically. Um, but his mask order came after, what, three months of saying that there was just never going to be an opportunity, you know, there was never going to be that coming from that, that kind of a mandate coming from his office. So um, I think people are just uh, agitated, frustrated, um, confused, not really pleased with how um, leaders have handled this. And so, um, yes, the uh, the talk of the Austin bubble, the, the speculation happening um, inside the Austin bubble is that um, uh, regardless of whether there's this virtual video speech that Abbott delivers or, or what have you, that, that there, that there could be some, um, what's the word? Some feelings expressed. <laughs> that, that is the most Kathy way. To <laughs> no, I think, I do think like, you know, Kathy, you mentioned the like Sylvester Turner not wanting to politicize this. I think it maybe it's too naive to think about, the handling of any of this, what the handling of any of this would be like if politics were not involved, um, <laughs> given the state we live in. But it's sort of, I am kind of, uh, it is surprising that someone like Turner with the data on his side, with, you know, the numbers about what the hospitals look like on his side, with the idea of, you know, this isn't just the delegates, but the custodians who have to clean up after they leave. Like, there is so much on, you know, if you wanted to make the the public safety and the public health argument, there is an extent to which that was available to him when it comes to data and the numbers and like what we are getting from public health experts. But I think you're right. It's, it's like a lot of this does seem to come back to there has never been like a uniform message coming out of, out of the state leaders, whether that's Abbott, whether that's county executives. Uh, or mayors, because everyone has been on differing pages at different points. And then you ultimately end up with a governor who's, you know, told people it's not safe for you to be out, reopen things, indicating to some people that there was some level of safety that came with that, and is now telling people you're, the safest place for you is at home, mm -hmm. while also this huge event is moving forward. He was kind of wishy-washy at first about whether he himself would appear in person. Mm -hmm. And while people are still having to go out to vote. Yeah. And so I think the like messaging of this, even if you pulled the politics out of it in any way, and maybe you can't because the messaging might depend on the politics, 
mm-hmm. it, it just like the messaging from the top throughout this entire thing has been less than kind of uniform and yeah. clear yeah. from the yeah. beginning. And it seems too like there are some ways in which Abbott has put himself in a corner in terms of you know, politicizing the requirement for masks and the, the um, you know, punishments for not wearing them and then being in a position where he himself was doing it. The only, re- you know, part of the reason that that's so controversial is because he was part of the group that was, you know, politicizing mm-hmm. it in the first place. Um, so I think it's not, you know, it, it is always about politics, obviously, um, even while the, the recommendations themselves are directly from, the scientists and the researchers who know, you know, that this is one of the best ways to keep the the virus in, in its place. Yeah, I do wonder how this all would have played out differently if from the beginning Abbott had kind of brought the local officials into his orbit as he made these decisions um, and kind of like tried to like present this as a unified, like we're all in this together, we're going to kind of, you know, coordinate with each other more and all that. Um, that's definitely not how this has been played out. I also, I mean, I don't think it's possible that that could have made it worse for him politically, at least from, Mm -hmm. from his base, because, you know, um, you know, there are a lot of people, you know, there's, there might be some kind of grassroots anger at Abbott, but there's even more grassroots anger at the County judges and mayors out there as well. So, um, You know, he is he's definitely in a position where it, it kind of feels like a no win for him politically. Yeah. Um, I forgot to mention this when I was answering um, the, the wonderful question that that Matthew asked, but it is kind of tying into <laughs> everything that we're, we're talking about here, which is part of. Um, so you're seeing, uh, of course, the grassroots, more hardline uh, base of the party, definitely unhappy with Abbott. Um, you're also seeing some Republicans who haven't um, always been that outspoken um, against the governor or maybe more aligned with him, like during session or whatnot, um, also starting to kind of um, either not saying anything at all or responding to constituent messages um, in a more, you know, concerned way um, whatnot. I was actually talking to a, a House staffer about that this morning. Um, and the, like... I guess like the baseline or the, the, the common thread tying all of that together is that um, a lot of Republicans feel like Abbott did not rely on the legislature um, enough uh, or turn to them. or And that means like a multitude of things. That means like keeping them in the loop when announcements were coming down the pipe uh, so that they could then like, you know, get that to their county officials and uh, whatnot. Um, and then that also means um, there being a, a question among some people of like, Hey, did Abbott just completely uh, abuse his, uh, you know, power here? And is he doing some things that next session we want to start maybe thinking about, like toning some of that back or curbing some of that back, just because of how, uh, again, and this is like a viewpoint that some Republicans have, like how unilateral and how sweeping some of his measures has been, have been, uh, you know, when he's really not really, but at least public facing, uh, relying on his strike force and advisors and, you know, his staff. Let me kind of present a contrasting side of that, which is that the legislature, to my knowledge, has not held a committee hearing, you know, in person or remotely since this whole pandemic began, to my knowledge. Is, is that right, Cassie? 
Um, I do believe that that is correct because there's a question of whether house rules, at least on the house side, allow virtual like Zoom meetings to happen. So I think that's right. Yeah. Gotcha. I mean, it seems as though the legislature, I'm, you know, I'm not sure exactly what they want, you know, because first of all, can you imagine like a house floor debate about, um, you know, whether we're going to do mask orders or something? Like the, <laughs> <laughs> the Texas legislature is not exactly the, uh, like a bastion of like reasonable conversation and everything like that. But then also, I mean, this is just in this situation, you know, our, the state government is set up in a way where the legislature comes in every two years and and passes laws and things like that. But on an emergency basis, you know, the. Yeah. And I, I, I guess I guess the sentiment there is that uh, or the question of like, why hasn't Abbott ordered a special session yet so that the legislature yeah. can help tackle some of these problems? And look, there's like a whole, you know, world of like logistical questions that are tied to that. Um but that's just been kind of interesting, uh, an interesting sidebar, sidebar that I've noticed is there seems to be this like new feeling that Abbott has, um, I don't even know like what to call it, but I'm of course referring to some lawmakers and activists referring to him as King Abbott and everything like that. So anyway. All right. Well, before uh, we tackle our next topic, we've got two more sponsors to go to. Methodist Healthcare Ministries is dedicated to creating access to healthcare for uninsured and low-income families in South Texas through healthcare services, advocacy, and strategic grant making. Learn more at mhm.org. And Raise Your Hand Texas is strengthening public education for the future because the future of Texas is in our public schools. Find out more at raiseyourhandtexas.org. So some other big news that we got just yesterday was that uh, the long-awaited guidance that Texas school districts finally got from the state on what they should be doing to safely reopen next month, I guess, um, and also what they had to do in order to keep their operations running and what was going to be mandatory for them. Aaliyah, uh, talk to us a little bit about kind of your biggest takeaways from the, what the Texas Education Agency laid out yesterday. So uh, they put out guidelines yesterday that educators had been waiting for and parents had been waiting for for a while. It had been pushed back a, a lot of weeks. <laughs> um, and finally, it came out after Abbott's mask order we've been talking about. Um, and the, the top line... Uh, Part of the, these guidelines is that uh, schools will be required to follow those that mask order. So students and teachers and visitors um, will have to wear masks in counties that I guess haven't opted out of <laughs> um, having this mask order. And that doesn't apply to kids under 10. Um, and that's really different from a draft version that that came out um, before uh, Abbott started, you know, pushing to to close bars and, and to uh, remove some of the, um, the laxness that he'd given to, to businesses. Um, before that, they, they did not require masks. They didn't require, there were very few safety mandates for schools. Um, this one has masks and then has requirements for screening um, or requiring uh, teachers and, and staff to self-screen before they show up to school. 
Um, and then it also includes a wide range of recommendations, including, um, you know, hand washing stations and having kids have uh, supervised hand washing for 20 seconds twice a day, um, having, uh, you know, other forms of PPE. Um, I think that a lot of teacher groups responded right away saying that those guidelines did not go far enough <clears throat> and were not comprehensive enough. Um, the other top line is that school districts have to offer daily on-campus instruction for all students who want it. Um, but any parent can request that their child be offered virtual instruction from any school district that offers it. Um, so parents can maybe transfer to different uh, school districts if their district is, you know, not offering them vir the virtual instruction that they, that they want to have. Um, but that also means that districts that were planning on doing a hybrid version. So you have districts that have wanted to do maybe three days at school and rotate groups of A and B groups of students. So you have smaller class sizes, which is you know, part of the, the CDC um, recommendations for keeping kids safe and, and how you keep them socially distanced. Um, that's no longer um, allowed under this because you have to offer daily five days a week on-campus instruction for all the students who want it. Um, so I think that superintendents are probably still parsing this out. You know, they've been trying to create uh, these plans and every time something comes out and then they have to go back to the drawing board and this is no exception, um, especially for the hybrid uh, form of, of instruction that a lot of them had been trying to, to figure out ways to do and working together to figure out, you know, what, what other school districts were doing. And now they're all going to have to kind of scrap those plans and go back to go back to the drawing board. Um, and I think teachers are, um, th there was very little in there about what at-risk teachers should do uh, if they have to go back to work and have to go back to school, um, but are more susceptible to catching the virus and more susceptible to actually getting really sick and maybe dying from it. Um, and the research isn't clear about um, the likelihood of children um, transmitting the virus to adults. Um, it's, it is more likely that children will, you know, either be asymptomatic or not really show uh, severe symptoms if they get it. But uh, that obviously doesn't help you if you're a teacher in an elementary school um, and kids aren't required to wear masks and you don't have the opportunity to socially distance because maybe 100 percent of parents want to send their kids back to school um, and you have a, you know, a family member at home you're taking care of who has cancer. Um, there, there's very little in there about, you know, what, what those teachers should look to in the state guidance that protects them. Yeah, I think it, I, there's so much to parse through in those guidelines in terms of the effect they have. Um, but one of the things that I, I had just been messaging with a friend from back home who's one of their family members works for the local school district, not a teacher, but in another capacity. And I had asked them, you know, what does this mean for them? And they said, oh, no, we're 100% remote learning. They just announced it today. <clears throat> and, you know, I was thinking about the delayed guidance from the states and whether I should read into it coming after this mask order and whether there was any sort of like waiting on that before these were released. But it, it just seems like an impossible situation on the ground where literally in one day, the members of the school district, including parents and students, were told, 
don't worry, we're going to be 100% remote learning, we're going to figure it out. And then hours later, it's sort of like, never mind, that's actually not going to be available to us, because we have to provide in person for anybody who wants it. Right. And you can't divorce this from the uh, pressure coming from the Trump administration to both have classes every day in person, you know, Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos has been very clear that that that's what she wants and that she'll put pressure on, you know, governors that allow anything other than that to to stop doing it. Um, And then from President Trump himself, who tweeted this morning that the CDC guidelines for reopening schools were, I think it was expensive and uh, tough and expensive, and they're asking schools to do very impractical things. And, you know, I think that what you're hearing from teachers on the ground is we want more protections. (laughs) We want, uh, you know, it, we want the, the balance or the weight, obviously it's a no win situation in a lot of cases, but we want it to be one where we feel like we're erring on the side of being as cautious as possible, even if that means potentially, you know, more kids have to learn from home, or if that means that you, you do not have kids all in the same building in on the same day, um, they want more that that actually is is safety oriented, um, and and that's not what you're hearing coming from the federal government right now. Yeah, I think um, I'm waiting on our resident parent here to <laughs> his his dumbfounded face as he I think thinks about what this means for I was the next few months of his life. About eight, six more months working from home with my children. <laughs> I mean, like, really, like, uh, sitting here listening to you talk, Aaliyah, I mean, like, really what I think about is just that, like, there's no good option here. It's all bad, and no matter what you do, people are going to suffer. And it's, I mean, that's the unfortunate fact of this virus right now is that, like, no, there's there's no option that the government can choose, whether it's related to schools or shutting down businesses or all that thing, where it's not going to have really terrible effects for people, you know? And uh, so I have, I, you know, I'm frankly just kind of at a loss for words. I, it's uh, it's the it's really tough for the teachers. You know, I worry about the kids too, as, as we've talked about in different trip casts and as you've written about, you know, about, what's it going to mean for children who can't, who go a very long period of time without school, you know, and the, the, um, pediatrics association, I think seems very concerned about that. So, um, (sighs) it's tough. I I have nothing to add. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, I mean, the pediatric associations have been, saying that they want kids to return to school because of, you know, the social risks and the the mental health risks and, and other kind educational risks of not returning to school. Um, but I think, and they're also recommending that, um, you know, teachers not congregate as much as possible. So don't have a bunch of meetings where you have teachers just in the same room, because that's more likely um, to, to um, mean there's more spread. I think that there are ways to do it that people have been, you know, throwing out there that could be better. I'm not sure that with the with the guidelines that the state put out yesterday, I'm not sure that some of those would be possible, including, you know, being able to socially distance and have students um, go in fewer days. Um, if you don't have that flexibility, you lose 
some of your flexibility for social distancing and, and safety guidelines. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we are over our time for today, so I'm going to have to <laughs> cut us off here. As always, thanks to Spoon for our theme music and to our sponsors this week, Nativo, the Texas Association of Freestanding Emergency Centers, Methodist Healthcare Ministries, and Raise Your Hand Texas. On behalf of Cassie, Aaliyah, and Matthew, and our producer, Michael Ray, this is Alexa. Thanks for listening.